Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Minister Bernard Williams comes with a thought-provoking message entitled, The Gifts We Bring. Get your pen and your pad ready, and let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. But it is the Christmas season, and uh, some of y'all are like, yay! Some of y'all are like, please get this thing over with. I just... My, my credit cards can't handle it. Jesus, God, help me, Lord, Jesus. Um, but I wanted to uh, share a story that all of you know, but I want to show it to you a completely different way. Is that all right? It's the story of the three wise men, or I'm not, I'm not, I, say, I heard you Bible scholars. It wasn't three wise men. You know what? I'm not even going to debate that today. I want to talk about the story of the Magi. How about that? Okay. And so... Um, Let's open our Bibles to our foundation text. Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 11 in the New Living Translation, and it reads as such. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he had learned from them that, uh, excuse me, he had learned from them uh, the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with great joy. But here's the the part that it, it just stuck out to me. And then they entered into the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. They bowed down, and they worshiped him. Today, I want to investigate The gifts we bring. The gifts we bring. It's the gift-giving season, and I'm excited because I love giving gifts. Uh, I I love showering uh, love and appreciation on other people. But um, I started thinking about this, and the Holy Spirit showed me that the the act of giving a gift is defined by Merriam Webster as voluntarily transferring something to a person without compensation. See, some of y'all take that right now. So if you, if you, if you give a gift, they ain't got to give you one back. <laughs> well, I gave you this. Oh, hello. <laughs> Practically, we give gifts as a means of expressing love or appreciation to another person. But more foundationally, The act of giving a gift should be seen as an opportunity, watch this, to communicate the level of value that we have in another person. If I'm going to give you a gift, if I'm going to invest money, if I'm going to really put my mind towards getting you a gift... It, isn't, it should not be about status. It shouldn't be about my own stuff. It shouldn't even be about how you feel. The true heart of giving a gift should be me communicating how much value you have to me. Does that make sense? So 
And I really want you all to catch this because especially for us parents, I've got two amazing daughters that are 10 and 9, and I can't pry out of them uh, what they want for Christmas. Um, but so many times we'll spend money on a gift like, we, we spend money on a gift trying to get them the biggest, newest game system. Or when they get up in age, Jesus, I am not ready for the teenage years. I'm not ready, God. I'm not ready. But when they get there and you start buying cars, many times you give a gift only because you want them not to complain. Sometimes you give a gift because not because of the value you see in them, but the value you want other people to see about you. That's why the credit industry will never go out of business. Because we will always spend more money to look like we have more money when we don't have any more money. But the truth is, when we give a gift, it should be a communication of how much this person means to me. I value you this much. So some of y'all take some of those gifts back because you, you, you know you don't like them. You don't like them. You don't, you don't even, you don't even, you just, you just biased. You did. <laughs> Let me keep going. And so I wanted to give that as a foundation. Do we all agree in that? Is that a good perspective? Okay. So now, um, I, know this is, I know this is Sunday morning, y'all expecting a sermon, but uh, this is more like an inspirational Bible study, okay? Because I, I believe that you have to understand the Bible in its full context. And sometimes we tell stories, but we don't know the full context. And so I'm going to tell you a little of the context of this very simple but very complex story. Let's start with the Magi. The Magi. Let's read the, the word again. And I'll tell you a little about them. Matthew, I was about to say Genesis, Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Keep that name around for later. At that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? If you, uh, all my paper Bible saints, underline of the Jews. Because that's, no, I'm about to come to it in a minute. We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Here's an interesting fact for all of you churchy people. The wise men were not Jews. They couldn't be Christians because Christ hadn't been born yet. The wise men were not Jews. Why is that important? Because the fact that they weren't Jews meant that they had no emotional tie to the Messiah. Their perspective of what was happening was completely intellectual. They had studied it. They had looked at it. it. Okay, all right, so this is happening, and this is happening. And so the funny thing is, even though these non-believers were looking at all of these signs, they were fully aware that something amazing was happening. For all you churchy people, they, were, they, were, they, they had been praying for that thing, and it came to pass, and they just went down and worshiped. No, they were pagans. Can you imagine something so amazing that someone with no emotional tie would know that something as big is happening, and it's so big that I need to go check this out, and so much so that I not even need to go check it out, but I have to bring a gift for this miraculous thing. Here's a nugget for you. You don't have to be of something in order to realize that it's worthy of honor. Yeah. 
You don't have to be of something. You don't have to be of something in order to know that it's worthy of honor, right? I also, thank you, Holy Spirit, I heard that. Many of you um, are waiting for people to, uh, people in your circle. Thank you, I don't know why I'm going here. But many of you are waiting for people in your circle to acknowledge how great you are and acknowledge the goodness in you. But I want you to hear this, that God is birthing something in you that the people around you may not even see, but somebody that's been waiting on something that's inside of you. They don't have to be of you to know that you're worthy That's a really captive thing to realize that the Magi, they weren't natural worshipers. They didn't naturally have a predisposition to know how to honor this thing they were going to check out. They just knew there was something that was bigger than them. And the principle still stands that their gift would make room for them. Oh, side note, let me come over on this side. You do realize that that scripture is not spiritual at all. It's not that your spiritual gifts will make room for you. It is that your gift will make room for you. That means sometimes you need to go to your boss. That's why you and the the whole teacher's pet thing, getting an apple for the teacher, it opens the door for them to be able to notice that you're there. Sometimes you need to invest in where you want to go. And so you may need to go to your boss sometimes, not with complaints, but with gifts, with gifts of appreciation, with gifts of understanding. Go with a gift and watch it make room for you. Thank you. So that's part number one to the backstory. Back, let's talk... The next part of the backstory I want to talk about is King Herod. King Herod. Uh oh, there it is. Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. And I'm going to give you all these verses. Y'all going to have to just deal with it. It's Sunday. King Herod was deeply disturbed. Wait a minute. When we started this, in verse 7, it said that Herod was excited. Did y'all remember that? Okay. But the Bible is infallible, so let's, let's figure this out. Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, because he wasn't religious, but he respected it, and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In, 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 in Bethlehem, in, in Judea, great, great, sir, they said. For, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come, for, will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. It's at that point that Herod then called a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star had first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem, watch this, and carefully search for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can worship him too. See, King Herod was fully aware of the 400-year-old promise that was given about the rise of a Jewish nation. Herod was not Jewish. He had no emotional tie to this promise, but he also understood 
that he had power and he was intent on destroying anything that challenged his authority. And so he was intent on destroying any threat to his power and had no intent of worshiping the new king. His intent was to kill the child that he thought may one day overthrow him. It's funny to me how Herod used the word worshiped. He code switched. He knew that he had to speak a certain way in order to get a certain thing. Here's another nugget that doesn't quite go with it, but Holy Spirit showed it to me. He told me to tell you to be keenly aware that everyone who praises you or seeks for you isn't there to build you. Some people are on assignment to attack or belittle you for their own gain. Herod had no intention on worshiping the Lord. He had no intention of worshiping this Messiah. But he knew in order to get close to him, oh, I'm going somewhere, I'm walking real heavy. In order to get close to him, he had to butter up the people so that they would think that he was okay. See, some of you, oh, can I go here? Everybody in the temple isn't there to worship. Everybody in this church isn't here to worship. Some of us are here to either build up or tear down strongholds of our own. And God knows the hearts of everyone who comes. That's why it's important to stay tuned to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will tell you who's around you to build you. And who's around you just to get something. And I truly believe for Linked Up Church, I want to say this. God knows your heart and he knows what you're here for. Be careful. So now let's go to the story. (laughs) Y'all all all right? This okay? Okay. Let's go to the story. So now that we understand all of that, the Magi were not worshipers. They weren't Jews. King Herod was there on a perf. He was trying to get something for himself. Matthew 2, verses 9 through 11, then make a little bit different perspective. After this interview with Herod, the wise men went away, went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And they, when they saw the star, they were filled with great joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
They bowed down and they worshiped him. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they went and opened their treasure chests. So the bowing and the worshiping wasn't enough. They went to their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I want to go back to the very beginning of our conversation because I want to, this is another, I might hurt some people, but just let your religious brain break for a minute, okay? I want you to understand that the act of giving a gift means that I am communicating the value that that person has to me. We all agree? Okay, now here's the worship director. The word worship means to show how much something is worth. It's not about songs. It's not about coming to church. It's not, it is about showing what something is worth. When we worship God, we show him how much he is worth to us. Are you with me? Okay, therefore, catch this. Non-churchy, but still churchy. The act of giving a gift is a form of worship. I don't worship nobody. But if we agreed that the act of giving a gift communicates how much value someone has to you, we all agreed. And showing value means that I am communicating how much you are worth to me. And worship communicates worth I'm not saying that you must worship all people, but the act of giving a gift, are y'all with me, yes. is some level of worship. Okay, I want to make sure that we said that. I know there's still some that's not going to get it, but if you don't get that, then you're not going to get the rest of this message, and that's okay. Because <laughs> it wasn't meant for you. Let the Holy Spirit deal with that. So the Magi's gifts of worship the other reason that's important, thank you, Holy Spirit, for slowing me down. The other reason that's important is because, again, the Magi were not Jews. And so they were giving gifts, which were worship, not realizing that it was. Okay. Catch that? The other thing they didn't realize is that their gifts of worship were representative of the value that they saw in the Messiah. And they were also prophetic in nature. Yes. Non-believers can be prophetic because all things work together in God. So let's examine these gifts. Number one, gold. Gold, which has become cheapened in our society, but I want you to think back, ah, 2,000 years. Gold was a very precious metal of extreme value. Gold was not easily grabbable. You couldn't go to some random store on the corner and get it. It had to be mined. It had to be refined. And it was reserved for only the elite of the elites, which also lets you know that these wise men were rich. And so the gold represents royalty. We knew that he was bigger than us, and we're rich, so we want to give him more riches. What they didn't realize was that they were already, they were also communicating that he is 
the king of kings by giving a gift from royalty to royalty. Only royalty would give a gift to other royalty if they are higher or more honorable than themselves. Gold, representative of royalty. Frankincense. We say these words, we don't really study them, but I studied it. Frankincense is a resin that's used in incense and perfumes, Hmm. which means they didn't realize it, but that frankincense was actually representative of this amazing miracle's anointing and power. They knew that a residue would come off of this amazing miracle that would leave a lasting impression. And so they brought frankincense to make sure that it would always have a sweet smell to it. The third thing they brought was myrrh. Myrrh is a resin that's used for medicine and embalming dead bodies. That don't don't sound right. That that don't sound right at all. The gold, I get. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Ooh, yeah. The frankincense, ooh, smelling good. <laughs> yeah. Yves Saint Laurent. <laughs> but uh, you going to bring me some embalming fluid? I've been in funeral homes. Embalming fluid don't smell so good. And I don't think I want to be around it very much. But what they didn't realize, what they may have realized, was that it's, we see it as embalming fluid, but what they were communicating was that they knew that there was a a need for a sacrifice. And that that sacrifice, either both that sacrifice and the work of that sacrifice would cause preservation. Because that's what embalming fluid does, for those of you that don't know. So embalming fluid actually protects the body so that it doesn't deteriorate while we wait to, for all your uh, family members to fight over who's going to get what. It protects. <laughs> that was petty. I'm sorry. That's not your family. Not your family. Not, not, not your family. But it protects that body. And so Christ, they knew instinctively, maybe not by heart, but they knew that this thing was going to, whatever this was, was going to create something that was going to last forever. And so they were very intentional about the gifts that they brought. So I have a question for you. These non-believers thought that much to be intentional about the gifts that they brought. What does your worship say of how you value the Lord? What what is your, your worship? Well, I'm here on Sunday. Okay, so he's worth two hours to you? Well, I can't, I, I don't, ooh, 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 I'm going to hold that one. No, I'm not. Here you come. Well, 
I don't know the songs. So he's only worth things that make you comfortable? Well, I mean, I work all week. I don't have time to serve in church. So he's not worth you prioritizing and structure? What is, what is, what is, what is your worship say of what he's worth to you? What, what is your worship? I want you to think about it. I'm not talking about your singing because some of y'all can't sing, and it's okay. The Bible didn't say we, that we all had to sound good. It said make a joyful noise. Some of those joyful noises need to be in the bathroom. Woo! My God! And you sound good in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm joking. Because I know y'all be checking me when I hear the bad note. Oh, that wasn't it. See, I'll take it. It's all right. It's fine. Oh, his voice tired today. It's fine. It's all right. It's cool. It's all right. It's cool. It's all right. I'll take it. But what does your worship say of his worth, of his value to you? I believe that the Holy Spirit showed me this story to encourage you all to look at your worship a little bit differently. So what should our worship say of God? I got 10 minutes. Number one, your worship should say that you see the Messiah as your Lord. Not just your Savior, but your Lord. Say that for the folks in the back. Not just your Savior, but your Lord. What's the difference? Your Savior, thank you for saving me from my sins. I'm going to go ahead and keep doing stuff my way, but I appreciate you for looking out, bro. Thank you. Good, good looking out. If he's your Lord, okay, you got to tell me where to go next. Okay, you need to tell me who to talk to today. Okay. In fact, you don't just get the first hour. You get all 24 hours. So what you want to do this hour? Okay, well, watch this. If he's your Lord, but I don't feel like forgiving them, but you said that I'm supposed to forgive people, so you're the Lord. But I don't feel comfortable going over there and doing that. But you apparently know better than I do. Actually, you absolutely do know better than I do. So let me go do it. If he is your Lord, he's in charge. You aren't. Unfortunately, many Christians only stop at him being their savior because they want fire insurance. They want grace insurance. I don't want to feel bad while I'm out here doing what I want to do. But when you gave your heart to him, it's no longer your heart. It's his. Personal testimony, personal story. I have been in church. I'm alive. I've been alive 43 years. I have been in church 43 years. I have been in some level of leadership in church for about 30-some years. I have been in full-time ministry for 15 years, probably about nine years ago. I was at the worst point of my life I could imagine. I just, I was up, but it was great. I was singing. I was ministering. I was flying all over the world. People all over the world were connecting with me. It was amazing. It was awesome. And at the same time, my heart was broken. My marriage wasn't great. My money was all over the place and I had a real hard conversation with the Lord. Yo! This 
this ain't right, bro. I'm in church all the time. Like, I'm praying for people all the time. I'm singing all the time. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Why isn't this working? You said that you were the God of seed time and harvest. All this stuff is supposed to work. Why am I feeling so sad? Why am I feeling so broken? Why can't I keep my people happy? What is going on here? This doesn't feel good, God. And he said to me, you got it out? Yeah. <laughs> he said to me, you're singing, I appreciate. Your teaching is awesome. Like you found those hidden points, that was really, really good. The way you touch people is awesome, that's great. But I didn't send my son to die for your gift. Your gift doesn't impress me. I like it, but it doesn't impress me. My son died for your heart so that you could be my son. And I've been standing here waiting to see when are you gonna give me what I paid for. When are you gonna give me what I paid for? Since you wanna to talk to me about what you're doing, when are you gonna give me what I paid for? Maybe some of the challenges that you all are experiencing. I don't know why God isn't giving me what I'm supposed to have. I'm supposed to have. You supposed to have? Who do you think you are? First Peter chapter 3 verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. It's so funny. Isaiah was up here. Uh, this is not a shot to you, I promise. Isaiah was up here. It's just so funny to me. I'm, I do it because I'm a worship leader. If we say, God is a provider, somebody like, yeah! God is a healer. Oh! God is Lord. Yay! The fact that he's Lord means that I'm always safe, I'm always secure, I'm always protected, I'm always provided for. I never even have to worry about where my next step is because he's going to tell me exactly where to go. So I should, be more exact, I should be more excited about him being Lord of my life than any of the other stuff that comes along with just his hand. Sorry. A true walk with Jesus isn't a democracy of personal will and intention. It is a surrendered partnership to a superior authority. Your walk with God is not about him making happen what you want. It is about you walking in partnership with a greater authority and being on his plan. Number two, Your worship, this is the frankincense, your worship should show that you see the Messiah, watch this, as your anointing. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14, 15, Passion Translation says this, God always makes his grace visible in Christ, who includes us as partners of his endless triumph. Through our yielded lives, it lives, watch this, through our yielded lives, he spreads the fragrance of knowledge of God everywhere we go, we have become the unmistakable aroma 
of the victory of the anointed one to God, a perfume of life to those being saved, and the odor of death to those who are perishing. I have a question for you. When you walk past Do people smell you or do they smell him? When you enter a room, <laughs> you got all your <laughs> beyond all the perfume and the fake covering that you put over yourself. Do they smell you or do they smell him? When people are, interact with you, do they see you or do they see him? Watch this. After you've spent time with people, do they talk about you or do they talk about him? As believers, our responsibility, our, our, our heart, our joy should always be leaving the aroma of Jesus with every person that we come into contact with. Every person. That means the folks at Kroger. Every person. That means that person that cut you off yesterday. Every person. The way you respond to them should make them say, that's one of them Jesus people. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. And it's not about how much you quote Bible verses. Because when you, ooh, ooh, because when you quote Bible verses but don't live them, you're one of them church people, not one of them Jesus people. Well, the Bible is infallible, but the Bible doesn't save you. He does. The Bible is his word. Are you actually living it or are you just speaking it? Sorry. Number three. I got a minute left. Number three. Your worship should show that you see the Messiah as the ultimate sacrifice. I want you to go home and read Romans chapter six. It's a powerful passage of scripture. But what I'm going to, I'm going to surmise it here. If you really saw him as your sacrifice, then the best way to respond to his sacrifice is to be a sacrifice. Now, I've heard a lot of Christians say, well, he died so that I could live. Partially correct. He died so that you could live. Yes, but you live in him. That's why Paul says we are supposed to, the verse, the verse people don't like, you're supposed to die daily, which means you should be sacrificing all the time. But he, he came so I could have whatever I want. That is not, that is not the word. That is not the Bible. The Bible says if I ask it and believe that I'm going to get it, that is, that is, that is not, that is not, that is not the word. If I ask, then he will get me according to, according to my will. See, the, the problem with that is that if you actually spend time with him, 
it's not your will anymore. Your will is to, is to satisfy his will. That's why his will will always be completed. If you don't switch your heart, oh. The Magi taught us a very crucial foundational piece. They taught us how to worship. I, this week, learned a whole new way to worship from people that weren't even Christians. They weren't even Jews. But they understood that this thing was worth something. It's worth a whole lot. Bible scholars would say that they can't even tell between whether it was six days or two years but they had studied this and they knew that something was worth something somewhere. And I have to go seek it. I have to go find it. But, ooh, but my journey alone is not enough to show how worthy it is to me. My journey alone is not enough. I have to carry these things. Gold. Frankincense. Myrrh. Imagine, especially if you go with the liberal uh, interpretation, imagine walking for two years through the desert to find something that you had no promise of, no emotional tie to, and you finally arrive and find a two-year-old boy. Do you know how much humility it takes to say, I still believe? I believe that God is inviting each and every one of us, just as he did with me as I studied this, to reevaluate how we see him, how we approach him, and how we worship. How does what we bring to him speak of how we value him? How does what we do for him, thank you, Holy Ghost, speak to others of how we value him? Holy Spirit told me to tell you this. Don't miss the opportunity to have an unforgettable encounter with the miracle. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't take it for granted. We, we take it for granted here in this Western society. We get to come to church whenever we feel like it. I can stream whenever I want. I can get YouTube videos. I, it's easy to get to God. In fact, he's made it so easy, I don't even have to be in church. I can sit in my bed and pray and get in the presence of God. But you're getting into the presence of a miracle. Do you see him as a miracle? Just as Minister David talked last week, if I see him as a miracle, ooh, help me. If I see him as a miracle, then I see myself as a miracle. And if I see myself as a miracle, I see all of you as miracles. And I wouldn't mistreat a miracle. I invite everybody in this place, just close your eyes for a moment. And allow Holy Spirit to just speak to you. 
There's no condemnation in God. And so I want you to be honest. Have an honest conversation. Even if you're sitting next to your spouse, just be honest with him. This is between you and him, not you and them. What have, you, what have you been communicating about how much you value him? How, how is the way that you treat your coworkers speak of how much you value him? How does how you treat your spouse speak of how much you value him? How does how you speak and treat your children speak of how you value him? Catch this. How does how you treat yourself speak of how you value him? I heard that, Holy Spirit, because some of you in this atmosphere have not been treating yourselves very well. You've been running yourself ragged. You've been talking down to yourself. You've been trying to find value in everything and everybody else, refusing to see that before you were formed in your mother's womb, the Almighty saw you, knew you, loved you, created you, put a purpose in you, and is continuing to make sure that that purpose will manifest. That's why all the stuff that tried to come against you and kill you and destroy you, even your emotions that told you to kill yourself, did not prosper because his word will come to pass. That's how much he values you. Do you value him? How does how you serve your church communicate how you value him? How does how you give communicate how you value him? Holy Spirit, you are moving in this atmosphere, both in this room and online. You're challenging our hearts, but I thank you that there is no spirit of condemnation. You've come to challenge us. You've come to grow us. You've come to push us. You've come to graduate us. You've come to graduate us to a new level in your presence, a new level of understanding and revelation. And we declare that we will value you we will honor you. We will lift you high. We will bring gifts to you. We will communicate that you are our Lord in every area of our lives. We will communicate that you are our anointing. You are our fragrance. We will communicate that you are the miracle. You are the whole. You are the miracle of miracles. And we are honored to be your miracles. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away and you're desiring to come back to Christ today. 
I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died, rose from the grave, and He is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth, what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God. In Jesus' name, praise God. We are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations. We are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit us at linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, view past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or text Get Connected to 94000. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to connecting with you.